I'm John Carter in Moscow, in Havana, Cuba. Now in Kiev, the capital of Ukraine. I'm John Carter in Petra, right here in communist China, reporting from India. Hi, I'm John Carter in the Solomon Islands. I'm John Carter in Soweto, from El Salvador. I'm John Carter in Sydney, Australia. Pastor Carter ponders, if this were my last sermon. Welcome back. Today I'm talking about something very close to my heart. What would I say if this were my last sermon? I talked a little bit in the first part of the program about the brevity of life and the uncertainty of life. Talked about all that stuff. And I'm talking today about those things that I would say to you, my friends and my family, if I knew that I wasn't going to be around next week to talk to you. And so the topic is, if this were my last sermon. I don't think I'd get too much into science. I like science immensely. I, I love listening to people like uh, the great professor from Oxford University, the great mathematics professor. I love all that stuff. But if this weren't my last talk, I wouldn't have too much time to talk about the anthropic principle, any of that stuff. I would assume that you were wise enough to believe that there's a God and he loves you. And I tell you this, this is what I'd say to you. I'd say that God loved you so much that God gave his son, Jesus Christ, and he went to the cross to pay for our sins. That's what I'd tell you. I'd show, I'd show you this text over here in Romans chapter 4, verses 5 to 8. I want you to turn up this text, Romans chapter 4, and verses 5 to 8, dear hearts and gentle people. Romans 4, verses 5 to 8, an, an amazing statement. It shouldn't be there, some people would say. But to him who does not work, oh goodness me, that, that's a problem straight away. The person who doesn't work, well, I believe in lots of work. <laughs> I don't like especially lazy people. Do you? No. The Bible says, if you don't work, you shouldn't eat. A lot of people would be starving to death, you know. Uh, so it says here now, to him who does not work for salvation, but believes on him who justifies who? He justifies, he says, the ungodly, justifies declares the ungodly righteous. His faith is accounted for righteousness. Keep reading. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. We can't be saved by our works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. Uh, I tell you this. I'd say, look, ask God for the capacity to see truth. Ask God for a divine revelation. You know who are the hardest people to preach to? Would you like to know? Church people. I preached to the KGB on two occasions, preached to thousands of officers. 
of the KGB. I've spoken in Russia to millions of atheists. They're great audiences. They're the best. The hardest people to preach to are pharisaical people who think that they don't need salvation and they think they're better than others and they're full of gall and they're criticizing others. They're really hard to preach to. But this text says that Christ died for the ungodly. The Bible teaches this. This is a tremendous truth. God the righteous judge became a man in the person of Christ and became my substitute. One of the greatest preachers I've ever heard was HMS Richards, great American Adventist preacher. He was a great preacher not only because he was a, a great speaker, he was a great preacher because he understood the gospel when most people don't understand the gospel. Most people talking about the gospel all the time, but they have no idea about what the gospel is. He tells the story when he was a boy, I think in Colorado, he said, he's always teasing his little brother and his little brother was almost driven to distraction and his mother said, Harold, please stop it. Yes, mommy. But he'd be teasing away again. Harold, please stop it. Yeah, I will, mommy. You're teasing away again. You know why? Because of the sin that was in his heart. And his mother said to him, Harold, if you ever do it again, I'm not going to beat you because beating you doesn't do any good, you're going to beat me. Do you know the story? One of the great stories. The words hardly out of his mouth when he said, I won't do it again, when his brother was screaming. His mother said, Harold, come on now. Took him into the bedroom. His young mother bared her back before her son and said, go down the back of the creek, down to the creek, and get one of those big, thick, reads and come back and beat me. He said, I couldn't do that, mother. She sent him back three times. After a while, he came back with a big rod. She bared her lily white back and bent over the bed and said, Harold beat me. Harold beat me. Harold beat me. And he cried too, but... Then he broke down and wept. And she put her arm around him and told him the story that the innocent was beaten by the guilty for the guilty. And told him the story of the cross. That's when HMS Richards was born again. That's why he became a great preacher. Unless you've been to the cross of Christ, you have not become a Christian. That's what the Bible teaches. Paul had to have a revelation on the road to Damascus. He had a revelation that came from God. The Bible teaches that God took his own medicine. This is where the people who teach that dreadful idea of the moral influence theory, which is so prevalent here, this terrible heresy in Southern California, this is where they don't understand a thing. They're super religious, but they don't understand uh, that God took his own medicine. God, the righteous judge, uh, 
was condemned for my sins. And if I believe in him, he justifies the ungodly. That, my friend, is the gospel. It is revealed by the Spirit of God. And the people who are often the last to understand the gospel are are the supercilious in the church pews. This is the truth. I know. I've been around, pastored so many churches. If you say to me, what sort of audience would you like just for your own enjoyment and satisfaction, I would say to you, give me a bunch of communists and atheists any day. That ought to tell you something. Because I've seen atheists and communists uh, weeping before the Lord, and as they saw the truth of Christ on the cross, they were melted to tears, including members of the KGB. So I would say to you this, there is salvation for you if you will humbly believe and accept it. You know what our biggest problem is? The more religious we get, the prouder we get. The more religious we get, quite often the more obnoxious we get. The Pharisees and the Sadducees were super religious people and they could agree on only one thing, that they wanted to put Christ on the cross. He was nailed to the cross by the super religious. So if this were my last sermon, I'd say to you, beware of false religion. Beware of the counterfeit. Beware of the superficial. Beware of the fraud. Beware of the big talker. There is salvation for you and me if we will humbly believe it. Believe now he would have died for one lost lonely soul. Here's another truth I'd say if this were my last sermon. I'd be trying to get in everything that I thought was so important. There's forgiveness for all who will come in penitence to the Saviour, no matter how terrible the sin. That's a bit amazing. Isaiah 55, 6 and 7. Come with me to Isaiah 55, verse 6 and 7. And don't read the text to tell somebody else what a bad person they are. Read the text so that God will help us to see how we need the power of Christ. Isaiah 55, 6 and 7. Seek the Lord while he may be found. This means he's not always going to be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. It starts up here in the head. The dirty thoughts. The unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. And to our God for he will. What does it say? Abundantly pardon. Amazing. That's amazing grace. It doesn't matter how bad your life has been. If you and I will believe in Christ, there's salvation for us. There's forgiveness for every person. One of the greatest texts is Luke chapter 15, 1 and 2. It's almost a bit hard to believe. You see, you've got to have a revelation from God to understand this. There are some people, listen to me, look at me. There are some people, I meet them all the time, and they're professional religionists. I've had them up to here. 
professional religionists who are always, 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 always talking religion, but they've got no love in their souls. Now, here's a great text. And all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to hear him. They liked him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. And for once, Jesus said to the Pharisees, you're right. <laughs> Wrong on most stuff, you guys, but you're right here because this man does receive sinners. That's the great heresy. The church is for great sinners. The church is a hospital where people get well, not a museum where people are preserved. And then Jesus gave three stories to prove it. The story of the lost sheep, you know, 99 saved. He goes after the one lost sheep. That's what God does. When he finds it, he doesn't kick it. He kisses it. Then there's the lost coin, lost in the house of God. The woman searches diligently. God searches diligently. Then there's the lost boy. You know the story of the lost boy. He's an ungrateful young scoundrel. He can't wait until the old man's dead before he wants the money. I personally resent that. <laughs> and so his father gives it to him. And the boy goes into a far country. That's where you go when you turn from God. It's a far country. It's a smelly country. It's a dirty country. He spends his money in riotous living. The elder brother said he was with prostitutes. But you can't believe the elder brother. He's a Pharisee and a liar. So you can't believe, you can't believe what any Pharisee says. Pharisees by nature are liars. You listening to this? Finding this a bit hard to take? There's worse to come. So the boy is feeding the pigs, a Jewish boy feeding the pigs. That's as low as a Jewish boy can get. Then look at Luke 15 and verse 20. The Bible tells us the boy comes to himself. He has a spiritual awakening. What about you? Let me ask you this. Have you had a spiritual awakening? You can't be saved without a spiritual awakening. People say, no, I don't know. You know what the genius of John Wesley's preaching was? It was personal religion. Unless you have a personal relationship with Christ, you're damned. People say, oh. They're reading a book put out by a great theologian. They're the ones that I'm most skeptical of. And he said, everybody is saved unless he willingly rejects. As they say in Ireland, what a lot of hooey. You're not saved because you don't reject. You're saved because you do accept. You've got to accept it. You've got to accept. Not just a case of, oh, I'm in ignorance. I never knew. I mean, how the devil has got some people by the throat and by their ears. Well, anyhow, this young guy repents. He comes to himself if I want to be saved, I've got to realise I'm as smelly as the pigs, spiritually. You see, the gospel gets rid of the Pharisaism in us. 
the person who's proud. He doesn't know Christ. His master is the devil. That's the truth. But this young guy comes to himself and he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Goodness me. He falls on his neck and the boy stinks and he kisses him. That's what God is like. Not like the pretentious Pharisees full of hypocrisy and deceit who make young people feel uncomfortable in church. Oh, you shouldn't be here in church. In my day, if a young person had long hair down to here, we don't want them in church. If a person had a beard, oh, we don't want them in church. They look like hippies. Now we're coming to the place they won't ordain you unless you've got a beard. I mean, isn't this silliness? Isn't this silliness? Yeah. Now, the boy came to himself. This was taught to me by a great theologian. Man is far worse than he ever feared to think, but God is far better than he ever dared to hope. You see? God's a lot better than we understand. And we're a lot worse. None of us realize how sinful and depraved we are. Not me. Yes, you. If you don't believe that, that's because you're suffering from spiritual lunacy. But one glimpse of the cross of Christ, and we see two things that God is far better and man is far worse. When I was a boy, a little boy, I went to the Brisbane Town Hall. It was many, many years ago. My mother took me along and I went because she was bigger than I was. I went there to hear an American preacher. I didn't know it on that occasion. His name was Clifford Reeves. Maybe some of his family members could be listening to the program. He preached the gospel of Christ. I went along with my mother. My mother had been searching and searching and searching. She said, when she heard the word of God preached by this American preacher, something stirred in her soul. I'm here today because of that American preacher through my mother. Then they had a big choir. I love big choirs. There's a big choir. Here I am, little boy, this high. And I still remember the choir singing, sing them over again to me. Wonderful words of life. Yeah. And then they sang another song. This is a great song. It's about receiving the sinful men. Yeah. Christ receives the sinful men. So if you're a sinful man, Christ will receive you if you come to him and stop all the religious nonsense and come as a penitent. That's why Martin Luther said a Christian is always a sinner, always a penitent, always right with God. Not a willful sinner, but he knows he's not what he could be or should be or would be. The worst job you can have is to be the pastor of a church that's filled with people who think they're righteous. Oh, goodness. I'd rather be with the prodigal in the pig pen 
far better. Christ receives the sinful man. And here's the next great truth I'd tell you. Heaven will be far better than we can imagine. No tiredness. I have that now sometimes. No pain, no anxiety. No heartaches, no headaches. I don't know what it is to have a headache. No sin, no guilt, no wars, no fighting. No lawsuits, no illnesses. And it's called a country. I like that. Hebrews eleven sixteen, Hebrews 11. But now they desire a better, a heavenly country. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he has prepared a city for them. But that city is going to be the city of a country. I'd like to go to heaven because it's a country. Some of my happiest days, my dear friends, were spent riding my Harley Davidson. Listen, let me tell you something. You don't think I could ride a Harley? You just don't know what life is in this old guy. <laughs> Sitting on a Harley. And you feel it's throbbing, throbbing along, you know. And the wind is blowing in your face. Sometimes out on those country roads, I would disturb some birds and they'd fly. And sometimes they'd hit me in the face. Feel the soft feathers. This is the country where I rode the Harley. That's the actual place. That's in South New South Wales. My happiest days, some of them. Stopping to eat the ripe nectarines hanging over the fence. Have to pay for them? No, falling off on the ground. Personally, I don't care too much for the streets of gold or the gates of pearl. I will settle any day for a home in the country with a dog, a cow, and a horse, and a Harley. <laughs> you say, there's not going to be any Harleys in heaven. How do you know? What do you know about it, you know? I think if I were to say to the Lord, I'd be very happy with a Harley, I think I'd get a Harley. Yeah. Here's the last truth. I'd say if this were my last sermon, Jesus is real and far better than the best person you know. Think of the best person you know. He's a million times better. He's a million times kinder, stronger, more loving and affectionate, more reliable. And he's preparing a mansion for you in glory. And your name is on the door. He said it. In John 14, 1 to 3, he said it. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. I believe that. I believe there's a mansion and it's got my name on the door. I believe that. And I believe that my greatest joy will be to meet him. Amen. Now, when I was a boy at college and Beverly was just a young girl, because there was a time when we were young,
I went down with Pastor Heffron to the Sydney showground and I heard a strong young American preacher with the wind blowing in his hair. And he was saying from the Bible, the Bible says, the Bible says, he was a man's preacher, not a sniveling little runt. He was a man of God. And he had a choir, and the choir sang these words, Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. 150,000 Australians listening. And that there bids me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Just as I am, though tossed about with many a conflict, many a doubt. Fightings within and fears without, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Just as I am, thou wilt receive, wilt welcome, pardon, cleanse, relieve. Because thy promise I believe, O Lamb of God, I come. If this were my last sermon, I say to you, stop playing with the devil because he's got you by the throat. Stop playing with man-made religion. It's not worth a thing. But come to Jesus. And Jesus will accept you. So if this were my last sermon, I would tell you all of these things and I would ask you to meet me. I would ask you to meet me in the Father's house, in the new Jerusalem. In Jesus' name. Amen. amen and amen. amen. Hello, friend. I'm John Carter. Behind me is the great city of Manila, the capital of the Philippines. Did you know, this is quite amazing. There are more people living in this area than in New York City and Christ died for these people. We came here, oh, a long time ago, back in 1984. What's that, 34, 35 years ago? And we came here with a team of young people and we came to the PICC. It is our intent to come here, hire the biggest hall that's available, the greatest outdoor stadium, whatever it takes. You've got more than 20 million souls out here. And I say it again, these are people for whom Christ died. I'm asking you to pray for the people of the Philippines. Please pray for the people here in Metro Manila. And please write to me, John Carter, Post Office Box 1900, Thousand Oaks, California 91358. In Australia, write to me at Terrigal at the address that is now showing on the screen. We're back in Manila and we're back with a message from God. That message is Christ died for you and Christ is coming again soon. Please support us 
write to me today, Post Office Box 1900, Thousand Oaks, California, and also write to me at Terrigal in Australia. Thank you for your support and God bless you. For a copy of today's program, please contact us at P.O. Box 1900, Thousand Oaks, California, 91358. Or in Australia, contact us at P.O. Box 861, Terrigal, New South Wales, 2260. This program is made possible through the generous support of viewers like you. We thank you for your continued support. May God richly bless you.